Welcome to Hope for Life, a broadcast ministry of the First Baptist Church of Ferndale, Washington, bringing you hope for life through the teaching of God's Word. Today, Pastor Lunsford is continuing his sermon series in the book of Hebrews. If you would like to follow along, you can open your Bible to the book of Hebrews, chapter 2. Please open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 2. We're working our way through this great book. Last week I was gone, and week before that actually. And then last Sunday we were in transition, and I was getting ready to go with the camp staff to the Christian Camping International Conference. I'm the chairman of the board of Camp Gilead, our, our church camp that we, uh, we participate in with about 30 other churches uh, in the Northwest. And uh, I went uh, with uh, the director and the other staff members and uh, learned some things about camping and uh, helping the camp in that way. Well, the place they had the, the, uh, the meeting was the Pan Pacific Hotel in Vancouver, which if you see those real picturesque pictures of Vancouver, it shows the harbor and that real fancy kind of building sticking out into the water. That's the Pan Pacific and the Conference Center. That's where we had our meetings. And, uh, you know, I was wishing I dressed better when we went to check in. Uh, you know, they're, they're so high class there, they actually have intelligent people working at the front desk. <laughs> Jack Moyer, the director of our camp, and I shared a room on the 12th floor and had a nice view of the city and a little bit of the harbor. And as we came into our room, we, we looked around, you know, kind of scoped it out as you do when you come into a room with a nice bathroom there. And, uh, and then there, over on the nightstand between the two beds, there was a couple of bottles of water and a little greeting card. And then over here, there was the, the thing with the TV in it. And, and underneath the TV, there was this little desk type area. And they had a bunch of stuff sitting out. There was some some coffee makings, and then there was a whole series of things over here, some candy and this and that. And uh, we were thinking, boy, this is pretty swanky, you know. We're, we're really in the big time here. Until we walked over, Jack walked over and looked at that bottle of water, and it said, hi, welcome to the Pan Pacific. We're glad you're here. You can have this bottle of water for six bucks. Now, even in Canadian dollars, that's a lot of money for a bottle of water. And we walked over here to the armoire, we looked in there, and uh, hi, you can have this jar of almonds for 10 bucks, you know, and so on and so forth. And here's, here's a key with your other key for the mini bar. You can get all this stuff out of there. I'm glad that God's not like that. God just loves us and helps us freely. No extra price tags, no, no surprises. In Hebrews chapter 2, we're going to read more and understand more about God's love and care for us through the person of Christ that he gives us freely. Hebrews 2, we're going to start in verse 10, kind of read the whole passage. We're just going to focus on verses 16 through 18 today. Starting in verse 10, For it was fitting for him, Jesus for whom are all things, and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. 
For both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all of one. For which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren, saying, I will declare your name to my brethren. In the midst of the assembly I will sing praise to you. And again I will put my trust in him. And again, here am I and the children whom God has given me. Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is, the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. For indeed, he does not give aid to angels, but he does give aid to the seed of Abraham. Therefore, in all things, he had to be made like his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself has suffered, being tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted. In verse 16, the first thing we understand is that we are uniquely loved by God. Throughout chapter 1 and chapter 2, one of the broad points that's being made in this book of Hebrews is that Jesus Christ is more special than the angels and that in fact we are more special than the angels it would appear that the people to whom this book was given somehow got to thinking that angels were really something and that Jesus was actually a little bit lower than them because he had taken on a human body and certainly because we are human and angels are so powerful that we are less than them as well but what we've learned already is that Jesus first of all, created the angels, so there's no way he could be less than them. And then we find out that we have been saved or born again, and the angels are not, and a whole series of things that we learned through the first two chapters. Here, in comparing us and angels, he says he does not give aid to angels, but he does give aid to the seed of Abraham. In your King James Version, you might find it written this way, that he took the nature, he does not take the nature of angels, but he does take the nature of Abraham. Or in the NIV it reads, he gives help. He does not give help to angels, but he does give help to the seed of Abraham. The word literally means to take hold of, to get a hold of something. And one of the times it was used, it's very picturesque for us, was when Peter got all got his courage all worked up and he said, Lord, if that's you walking on the water, I want to come out and walk to you. And Jesus said, come on. And he went walking on the water until it says that he looked around and he realized he was walking on the water. And he started to go down. And the, the verse then says that Jesus took hold of him. The same word that's used here. So we understand, I believe, from that, that this word is talking about giving help, giving aid. My son, when he was about four years old, we were, we were swimming over in the Columbia River and there was a kind of a bowl-shaped area cut out of the Columbia River where we lived, down in Oregon. And he didn't realize that the bowl sloped in from all sides and so that if he walked straight across that, that bowl, it would get deep in the middle and then shallow again. In fact, he didn't realize he was going to go over his head before he got to the other side. And he couldn't swim yet. And I'm watching him start to walk out in the water, and I think he doesn't know what's going on. And he's walking across the water, and it's, you know, one of these jobs, going down like that. And so I start going like this, and I reach out and grab him right as he, he loses his feet and starts to go down. 
That's what God does for us. He takes a hold of us. He says he does not take hold of angels. If you know the rest of your Bible, you understand that a third of the angels of, uh, that God created chose to rebel with Satan and go their own separate way. And there's no salvation for them. He does not take hold of angels in the same way he takes hold of us. God loves us and he takes hold of us. He helps us. Why does God love us? Why does he love us? John 3.16, probably the most famous verse in the Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Why does God do that? Luke 2.14 says, Peace on earth. When Jesus was born, the angels came and announced this. Peace on earth among men in whom his delight is. Why does God love us? Why does he delight in us? I mean, if you've known the Lord for any length of time, there has to have been a time when you looked at yourself and said, boy, I'm not much of a Christian. And if you're that way now, how were you before you accepted Christ? Why would God love you? I think the answer comes from Deuteronomy 7. We'll not take time to look there. But in that chapter, we find God talking to the people of Israel and telling them why he chose them to be his special people. And do you know why he chose them? Just because. It doesn't say why. He says, I set my love on you because I did it. Why does God love you? Sometimes we get looking all around the world and say, it's not fair that people go to hell. No, you know what's not fair? It's not fair that you get to go to heaven. God looked down at, at you and at me and he said, I'm just going to set my love on Dave Lunsford. Boom. Did I deserve that? No. Do you deserve it? No. He does not take hold of angels, but he does take hold of us. He loves us and he helps us. We are uniquely loved by God. God doesn't do this for animals. He doesn't do it for angels. He does it for us, us human beings. Well, we learn that in verse 16, and then in verse 17, we understand that we are uniquely helped by God. Therefore, because he wants to take a hold of us, because he wants to help us, what did he do? He did this. He had to be made like his brethren. The first thing that Jesus did to help us was take on a human nature. We understand from this whole context here that part of the reason he took on a human nature was because he had to, to do the other things necessary. In, Rome, in Philippians chapter 2, we find this put a little more picturesquely when it says that he laid aside the outward glory of being God and took on the outward appearance of a human being. He took on a human body. Now, I don't know exactly what it's, in fact, I don't know anything about what it's like to be God. I can imagine what I see in heaven from the scripture. But Jesus, being God, the second person of the Trinity, was in heaven receiving the worship of people on earth, receiving the worship of the angels, existing in the, the brightness which no man can look on and see until his sin is forgiven. That was his existence. 
And he laid that aside. He didn't, he didn't stop being God. But he laid aside this outward glory of being God and took on a human body. Just look at all the human bodies here. And if you could add them all up and then divide it into an average. That's what Jesus was. Just an average human being. Now, I, I don't want to demean his divinity or his godliness. He didn't lay aside any of that. And in that sense, he was in extremely special. But he wasn't, Isaiah 53 says, he wasn't extra beautiful. He wasn't the kind of person that we look at and go, wow, look at that guy. He was he was average, or, or even if, perhaps, if, if we understand Isaiah 53 correctly, not only was he average, he might have been homely. Nothing special, it says. Nothing special about him from a human perspective. And why did he do that? He did that for you. He did that because if he didn't do that, he couldn't do anything else for you. He did that so that he could go on to what this verse says he did next, which was he had to be made like his brethren so he could be a merciful and faithful high priest. He became our high priest. In the Old Testament system that God set up, which Jesus had to fulfill, it was the high priest once a year who took the blood of the sacrifice into the Holy of Holies which the Holy of Holies was to picture the very presence of God. It was not the very presence of God. Everything in the Old Testament was a picture of the reality. There was the true altar there. There was the, the uh, uh, place where the blood was applied, and God said that was the Holy of Holies. And once a year, the high priest went in there with a sacrifice for all the people of Israel. They've been making sacrifices all year long, but this was an extra special time, the Day of Atonement, when, when all of their sins would be covered by this sacrifice. Only the high priest could do that. The scripture says here, Jesus became our high priest. He took on a human body so he could offer his blood, and he had to be a priest in order to do that. 1 Timothy 2.5 tells us that there is one man between God and man. There is only one priest between us and God, and it's Jesus. Jesus is our high priest. Then it says he became our merciful high priest. Turn with me to John 21. Jesus isn't just a high priest. He is a merciful high priest. In John 21, we're going to read another chapter in the life story of Peter. He wanted to walk on the water. He made the great confession of Christ. He did a lot of great things, but he also failed kind of greatly. It's a little bit like Babe Ruth. You know, he was uh, the home run king, but I guess he was also the strikeout king. And Peter appears to be that kind of guy. He, he never failed to swing at the ball, but, but he missed a lot of times as well. And of course, the greatest strikeout of Peter was when he was outside, like in here, and Jesus was in there being questioned and ridiculed and made fun of, and Peter was in a room outside that room, warming himself by the fire, and people said, hey, you're one of his guys. And he, three times, no, I'm not, and cursed and swore. Tremendous failure, tremendous failure. We, ha we have to remember that to his credit, 
He was there. But a tremendous failure. But what happens to him? John 21, starting verse 15. So then when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? He had made a claim earlier on that he would go anywhere with Jesus, even to the death. And so Jesus is saying, do you really love me more than these? Are you really willing to go farther with me than anybody else? Peter said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And if you've heard any teaching on this text, you know that Jesus uses a high word for love and Peter uses a word for friendship. Jesus uses the word agape, which is always in the New Testament of, of God's kind of love. And Peter uses a word for human affectionate type of friendship that kind of comes and goes. Jesus says, do you love me? Peter says, well, you know, I'm your friend. Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. Verse 16, he said to him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I'm your friend. He said to him, tend my sheep. Verse 17, he said to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved. Did Peter have any business being grieved? Man, he let, him, he let Jesus down big time. And Jesus is questioning his commitment. And he's upset about it. Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished. And when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. This he spoke, signifying by what death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. What did Jesus not do with Peter? He didn't throw him away. You know, that's what mercy is. What did Peter deserve? He deserved for Jesus. You know, Jesus, you know, it says when Peter was out here denying Jesus that Jesus was in there, and when he denied him the third time, it says that Jesus looked at him. And Peter wept bitterly. From there, Jesus could have said, Peter, get out of here! I don't ever want to see you again! You let me down when I needed it the most! And not one of us would have criticized him for it. Because that's the way we are. But what did he do to Peter? He said, Peter, do you love me? You said you did. You said you'd go the distance. Peter said, Peter said the truest thing. He said, you know me. <laughs> and Jesus just said, follow me. And boy, he did. And when the Holy Spirit came in Peter, he preached that sermon on the day of Pentecost, and 3,000 people got saved, and Peter went on to do tremendous things for the Lord. Folks, that's the way God is. It's never over till it's over. What did Jesus do with Judas? They're, they're there in the upper room, and uh, Jesus says, hey, one of you is going to betray me. I mean, he let Judas be there when he gave the upper room discourse, that wonderful sermon in John. He said, one of you is going to betray me. And they all talked about it. Pretty soon it came right down to it. He said, Judas, 
What you do, do quickly. But see, even there, he didn't say, Judas, I'm just going to strike you dead right now. He's merciful. Judas had a chance to repent of his sins right up until the moment when he hung himself because of the grief over what he'd done to Jesus. Do you know, Peter could have done the same thing. Peter didn't do, you know, humanly speaking, we'd say what he did wasn't quite as bad. But he could have been, and he was grieved, but he didn't kill himself. He let Jesus restore him. God is merciful. How long do you have to repent? You have till your life's over. Now, I know that's a real dangerous thing for a preacher to say, because some of you sitting there are going to go, that's fine, I'm going to wait till I'm 65, or maybe some of you are saying, I'm going to wait till I'm 95. The problem is you don't know when your life's going to be over. And if you tread on the mercy of God, he may just not extend that mercy as long as you thought it was going to be. But God is merciful. Jesus was a merciful high priest. We're going to understand a little bit more about how he's so merciful in a minute here. We'll come back to Hebrews, but he's a merciful high priest. Praise God for that. Not only is he a merciful high priest, he's a faithful high priest. And, you know, if we were just to cite a few scriptures like this, if we confess him before men, it says he will confess us before God. Did you notice that it's a definite thing? If you do it, I'll do it. He doesn't say, if you confess me before men, I'll think about it. No. He's faithful. If he says he'll do it, he'll do it. If we confess our sins, he will forgive us and cleanse us. God so loved the world that whoever believes will have everlasting life. There's no doubt about it. God is faithful. Again, he's not like us. He doesn't pick and choose how and when he's going to act in a faithful manner. Scripture says, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. No doubting, no waiting. God speaks to us in definite promises, not speculative possibilities. We are not left to wonder what he means or if he will do something. He is our faithful high priest. Turn with me back to Hebrews, where we look at verse 18. And we understand the third truth here, which is we are uniquely understood by God. I learned something new this week as I studied this, and I, I guess I say that to encourage you that every time you study the scriptures, you can learn something new. God opens it up a little more. Verse 18 says, For in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted. Do you understand what that says? Jesus suffered in his temptation. Sometimes, we think Jesus is like a comic book character, like Superman. And the temptations just flew off his chest like bullets off the chest of Superman. Go ahead, Satan, give me your worst. Do you see what this says? He suffered when he was tempted. It, it, was, it was hard, it was hurtful, it was a challenge. Now, I don't mean to infer that, that God could sin. I, I don't believe that. But I believe that he had a full human nature, not a sin nature. That's why he was virgin born. But in his human nature, he struggled with the temptation just like Adam and Eve struggled. Adam and Eve had no sin nature, and yet they sinned. Temptation affects our human nature. And I believe the greatest struggle that we see with Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane. When he 
prays and, and great drops of blood come out because of the great stress he's under. I can only think of one time in my life when I felt that stressful. It was a very stressful, it was something unique I'd never been through before. I'm not going to tell you what it was. It wasn't anything ungodly. But I was in a, in a situation where I, I I'm not, the thought that came to my head was I can feel my hair turning gray. I don't know if you've ever been in a really hard situation. But mine was nothing compared to his. One author that I read this week said, Dear brother, you and I have but a drop given to us. He drank the whole cup. When he was there in the Garden of Gethsemane and just... Oh, he said, Father, is there any way I could avoid this? Hey, that's a temptation, folks. He did not want to go through the events of the cross. And he struggled with that. He suffered when he was tempted. Why did he suffer when he was tempted? First of all, because he had a human body. Jesus knew what it was like to be hungry. He knew what it was. Now, think about it. My wife and I were talking about this recently. You probably think we're goofy, but I said something to her. I said, I just love getting in bed at night. It just feels so good. She said, I think the same thing. It just feels good. You know, we got a water bed, and maybe that's part of it. It's warm, you know. and It's just, it's just like somebody kind of hugging us when we're in there, you know. Oh, it just feels so good. What did Jesus sleep on? The ground? Maybe a straw mat? I mean, I get up off of my comfortable waterbed, and I still got to do, you know, this business in the morning. Can you imagine what it was like with him getting up off the, the ground or a straw mat or a, or a wood cot? He had a human body. He knew what it was like to get up sore in the morning. He knew what it was like to, to be sad for his friend Lazarus, and he wept. Jesus wept. He cried. He, he, knew, he knew sorrow. He had a human body. He knew all those things that go with a human body. And then I've already alluded to this. He knew the quantity and quality of temptation that we don't know. We tend to look and say, well, you know, Satan tempted him for 40 days and it was over. No, it wasn't over because he had a human nature. And as such, whatever tempts our human nature tempted his human nature. And he had to say, no, 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 no. We need to understand here, if you are new to Christianity, that being tempted doesn't mean he was interested in evil. It literally means he was tested. One author, uh, J. Vernon McGee, which many of you are familiar with, put it this way. Jesus, you see, was tested to prove that he was who he claimed to be. If Jesus of Nazareth had sinned, it would not have proven that God in the flesh could sin. Rather, it would have proven that Jesus of Nazareth was not God in the flesh. You think about that. That's a very deep statement. The testing proved that he was God in the flesh. And in that testing, he was tested severely. Are you tempted to think that God doesn't understand your temptations and your testings? Friend, he knows more than you have gone through. Much more. And he knows what it is to suffer. To suffer in the temptation. 
this last Wednesday on the last day of the conference that I was at up in Canada, I, I walked across from the hotel to a McDonald's to have breakfast. And, and uh, as I was approaching the McDonald's, I was approached by uh, what appeared to be a street person, and he was begging some money for coffee. He said, I'm going to a church to get a sandwich at 10 o'clock, but I need some. He showed me what he had, and it wasn't enough to get coffee. So I thought a little bit, and I said, okay. I said, uh, after I, all I had was, I didn't tell him, but all I had was a $10 bill. I said, after I get changed, I'll give you something. So he went and waited, and I got my food, and, and I went and gave him the money. And when I put it in his hand, I said, brother, you need more than a sandwich from the church. He said, I know I need God. I said, yes, you do. I wonder if sometimes us Christians are only looking for a sandwich from God. Just, just give me a little bit to get by with. Just some little blessing, just some, you know, God, if you could just fix this little thing and I won't bother you about other stuff. When Jesus is there as a merciful, faithful high priest who understands everything about you and he's ready to help you and guide you and strengthen you and give you wisdom and, and you're saying, oh, I don't need all that. I just need a sandwich. I want to encourage you this week to live in the riches of the help of Christ. If you don't know how to do that, we would love to help you learn to live in the riches of Christ. When I came into the ministry, that was why, because I had missed some of those lessons, and I thought, I don't want anybody else to have to be frustrated and not understand the riches of the wonder of living in Christ. We would love to help you know that today. Heavenly Father, thank you for loving us so abundantly and freely. Thank you for giving us our Savior and High Priest, Jesus, who knows us and loves us and wants to help us. Father, I pray for every person here that they will go to the high priest, Jesus, and get the help that only he can give. I pray in his name. Amen. Thank you for listening to Hope for Life, the broadcast teaching ministry of the First Baptist Church of Ferndale, Washington. You can learn more about our ministry on the internet at www.ferndalebaptist.com or you can contact us by mail at First Baptist Church, P.O. Box 69, Ferndale, Washington, 98248. Telephone 360-384-3111. We invite you to join us for worship Sunday mornings at 1045 a.m. Our prayer is that God's Word will give you hope for life.